Cashflow Diary Podcast, episode 285. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. The podcast that teaches you insider tips, tactics, and strategies for creating leverage streams of cash flow into your life. Learn from top performing entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, and thought leaders from across the globe as they share their secrets to success. Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay Massey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I am your host, Jay Massey. Glad that you're here today because we are going to be exposing some secrets today. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to share with you secrets to success. More specifically, there is a book that you probably are going to want to read today. Not tomorrow. You're not going to want to wait because the information inside is going to unlock your ability to become a bigger, better, badder entrepreneur faster. And that's exactly what you want. Today's guest is none other than Michael Parrish Dudell. And he is an entrepreneur, author, keynote speaker, and he's got a book called Shark Tank Secrets. Here's the point. We are going to make sure that you know what you need to know to bring your idea into the marketplace. Now, here's the thing. Michael's done this for CNN, Fox, CNBC, Fox Business News. He's been seen many different places. That's another way of me saying to you, make sure you take out a pen, paper, and be ready to take some notes. Let's listen to what Michael Paris Dudel has to say. Michael, you there? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad that you are here. I know many of our listeners watch Shark Tank. I'm going to assume you are similarly addicted to the show. Absolutely. Of course, (laughs) I have to be, right? It would be weird if you weren't, but I figured I'd ask anyway. You never know. You never know. Now, what I've got to do is I've got to ask you the same question I tend to ask most of our guests when they first come on. Because I'm really curious about this story here. I tend to look at uh, today's entrepreneurs. Of course, you are one of them. A lot like yesterday's superheroes. You know, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, uh, Captain America, whatever. Uh, and I think they entrepreneurs and superheroes have a lot in common. You know, uh, uh, superheroes get dressed up. Occasionally, they wear cape, <laughs> masks, and entrepreneurs, we, we think we're doing those things. And we use our special skills to save people in various different ways. And just like superheroes, entrepreneurs have an origin story. They began somewhere. So what I want to know is before the, you know, the, the current book, before, you know, you were on TV and, and, and promoting and helping entrepreneurs, before you even were an entrepreneur yourself, we want to know, who is Michael Parrish Dudell? That's a good question. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I have a very non-traditional background, and I found more and more that entrepreneurs across the spectrum of industries and verticals share that. They never started out thinking that they were going to be an entrepreneur, that they were even going to be in business. And that really is something that that we have in common. You know, I, from the age of four years old, 
I was an actor and a singer and in the arts. I went to school for that. My degree is in theater. I will get your credibility back later. I promise. Oh, hold on, um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Did you say four? You were like, so you were like, a, yeah, what? I was a, I was a kid actor. I was working professionally from a young age in theater and singing all over the country. Okay, all um, right. And I did it my whole life. Yeah, I did it from from four until the age of twenty four. Had a total career breakdown at around twenty four, twenty five. And knew that I needed to sort of go in another direction. Mm. This was right – I'm 33 years old. So this was right around the time that Twitter was was starting to come out and people were beginning to take digital media seriously. And I got a job as a contributing writer and eventually a senior editor for a site that doesn't really even exist anymore that was really big in 2007 right before it sort of hit the tipping point. And because nobody wanted these digital media jobs and because – um, it was sort of a new industry, more or less. I was able to get in on the ground floor and build a career as a writer, editor, uh, business sort of thinker. And through that, that led to a, a ton of great opportunities. I did a lot of consulting. I worked with American Express on the first charge card geared towards millennials, uh, a ton of speaking, and eventually went to work with Seth Godin, who many people know mm. is the, sort of a marketing extraordinaire. Um, I was the managing editor of the Domino Project, which was a publishing company that he started uh, that was powered by Amazon. That led to some work with GE. I was the editor of Eco Imagination when they launched and relaunched rather in 2011. And that started my own company. And I started doing a lot of consulting and a lot of training and workshops and continuing the speaking. And Shark Tank found me in 2013 to write the book. That book did very well. And here we are in 2016 with a second book all about the stories behind some of the most successful entrepreneurs from the show and some of the best tips from the sharks themselves. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. Okay, so I got all kinds of questions now, <laughs> which is great, which is great, because most people, I, I mean, I can't imagine anyone would have ever said, hey, the way to become an, an author is to start out as an actor. Yeah, you know, the way to become an author these days is very different than the way to become an author <laughs> many, many years ago. Um, listen, I think that I think that more than ever before, having a diverse set of skills that are adjacent to what you want to do, that are maybe not directly in line, hmm. but that are tangential in some way, which if you look at the theater thing, you can see, you know, my job for most of my life, my training was in communication, was in right. expression. And that's just done in a different way now. But in fact, I'm doing the same thing that that I was trained to do just in a different way. Yes, yes. And that's what I like about it. That Well, that's what I like about being an entrepreneur is the, I liked, and I like the way you said it, diverse set of skills that are adjacent. Because oftentimes when working as an entrepreneur, becoming one, you know, we, we're so focused on the widget, you know, that we're thinking about, we, we forget that there are these other things, chief among them, communication as a skill set that is required. And sometimes it's not that our widget is bad, it's just that we haven't mastered the other skill sets that are necessary. So from your vantage point and having worked with and seen the inner workings, what are some of those skill sets that you would say across the board, if you're not working on these you know, regardless of how great your widget is, you, you're probably behind the curve. Well, I would, have to, I would have to second what you just said about communication. I think that communication, knowing how to express your message, knowing how to sell your message is perhaps the most important thing in certain phases, especially that an entrepreneur really has to learn. Because not only do you have to create a great product, not only do you have to 
develop something that's innovative, that's new, that's, that's a little bit special, maybe, you have to be able to talk about what that thing is that you've created. You have to be able to sell it. And the fact of the matter is, is that people buy things to feel things. That is an unequivocal fact. I mean, that is why we purchase it. When I say buy, I don't even necessarily mean a financial transaction. I just mean a transaction in general. Do you buy what I'm saying? Do you buy my product? Mm-hmm. You do if you feel and, and understand um, a message, a, 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 an idea. And I think for an entrepreneur more than ever, learning how to communicate when and where is a crucial skill. Agreed. And I like what you said. People buy things to feel things. And and yes, you bring up the point of not every transaction having a monetary value. Because um, it's now let's so let's talk about the you know not every transaction having a monetary value specifically as it relates to you know things like social media uh, because I think even you know getting someone to click the follow making sure that they listen to the next podcast episode whatever button they've got to press is that's still a form of of, of sales and, and communications and it's just transformed and so you could kind of say you're still acting. Yeah, you know, I, I tell people that I'm acting now more than I ever was as an actor. <laughs> These days, pretty much 100% of my business is made up of, of speaking in some way or another, whether that's keynotes or trainings and workshops. Um, outside of my writing, that is, that is how I spend most of my time. And yeah, I have to be in a situation all the time where I need to be not only ready to deliver a message, but right. ready to be in an environment where I have to respond in real time to Q&A, to questions, to all different types of people with all different types of backgrounds. And that requires the ability to, to be open, to be a good listener, and be able to transform your message in a way that's most compelling and that resonates the most with the audience. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so talk to me for a second. We, when we were going through the journey, you, you had a number of, and you called it non-traditional backgrounds, you had a number of things that happened before they preceded where you are today and they occurred in a, in a certain way which is great however here's what i believe to be very true many of us as we go through we have what i call the superhero moment it's that moment where you know clark kent he goes hmm maybe i can help people and i should use my powers for good you know peter parker has to make the same decision you know they discover their powers hey i got this this is cool now, what am I going to do with it? Now, for most entrepreneurs, when that moment hits, it can become a point of it's like the rubber meets the road. It's the point of no return. You know, you, you've crossed the Rubicon. You've got to figure it out. How did you develop the courage to stop doing what was, say, traditional and go do your own thing? Yeah, you know, that happened over many years. It was not a a one breaking point for me. It wasn't a threshold. And I think that is you know, as we think about this idea of success and we think about what it means to be successful as an entrepreneur, the grand misconception is that success is a threshold, is that once you cross that line, you don't ever go back. And in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Success is not something that you own. It is something that you rent and you pay for it every single day in the form of hard work, in the form of dedication, in the form of creativity. And what I have found, I've been very lucky in my career to work with really some of the most amazing thought leaders all the way from the sharks to Seth to some really amazing traditional corporate leaders who, who come across uh, different kinds of work that I do. And you know the through line to all of their stories is that the more they develop, the better they become, the more that they have to 
focus on maintaining that success and continuing to learn and continuing to grow. Because when you reach a certain level, people stop being as honest with you. People start to say yes because they think that's what you want to hear or because, I don't know, you're the expert. But we're all constantly learning. And the moment that you think to yourself, you don't have to learn, that's where the struggle happens. And so for me, it was a series of small moments, small proof points that uh, that proved to me, you know, you can do this. You can go forward. And it can feel really overwhelming, especially to first-time entrepreneurs when they sit back and they think about the market or the landscape or the competition. And they say, gosh, you know, I don't have what it takes to beat X, Y, and Z. And my advice is always to step back and to think about that next immediate thing. What do you need to do right away, tomorrow, to get one step forward? Because if you can do that, then you can reassess and you can do it again and again and again. And before you know it, you're going to be a lot further than you ever thought you could. You know, it's funny you say that because had somebody told me all the things I'd have to go through before I end up with, you know, the hundreds of units and talking to, you know, individuals like you with the show and all this other, if they had told me, no, 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 it's not probably, (laughs) it it is not a probably, it's a, I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) Right, right. There's no way. I'm assuming that's been, okay, with all the, you know, entrepreneurs that you've dealt with, is that a common thread? It's like, look, had I known all what I know now, I probably would have never started. Yeah, I think a lot of people say that. Certainly, some of the entrepreneurs in the book that I that I highlighted, they said the same thing. They said, "Look, you know, I never expected that it would take this long. That it would take this short <laughs> amount of time." There's the opposite too. There's some people that said, "You know, a great example is Pip Snacks, which um, is their product, Pipcorn, everywhere now." When they started, they had no idea that within a year or two they would grow to such tremendous scale. And they said, frankly, if we thought that we would grow so quickly, we probably wouldn't have done it because we weren't ready for that growth. People think that growth <laughs> is a great thing. Yes and no. It can be very good if you're set up for it. Right. But if you're not prepared for that growth, you can run into a lot of problems. Yes. Been there. Done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great problem to have. But in fact, it is a problem to have. I, and that's the one of the funny things is trying to communicate to some people that, look, yes, it's growing. Yes, things are great. But you don't understand. They're also breaking at that twice the speed they used to. And that's really, really tough to deal with. And it's still a problem. I, I get you want my problem. But that doesn't mean yeah. it's not a problem, nonetheless. Yeah, it's a big problem. So in your time uh, writing the – okay, so here's, here's an interesting thing that I, I find as proof. And I hope many of you get hear the same thing because this is the second time you, you, you're writing the book related to the show. So tell us about the, that process. Like, you know, the when it comes down to, you know, the first time – because you said something. Here's, here's what I'm keying on. You said Shark Tank found you. And I'm like, ooh, how did that happen? How did they find you? And that's a process I think many people would want to know. Yeah, sure. Um, It's a process that nobody can replicate, but I'll be happy to share how it happened. That's what I Um, like about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's very specific. So when I worked for Seth, part of how I I got introduced to Seth and his work is a friend of mine from college – had written a book and his literary agent was Seth's literary agent, uh, the book's personal MBA, Josh Kaufman. And so I knew Seth's literary agent for a while, pitched her a book when I was 25, didn't end up happening. Um, and and as I worked with Seth, she and I became closer. She became my agent. And um, the, the publisher, which was Hyperion, which is now Disney, the publisher at the time uh, needed to find sort of an author, entrepreneur, sort of up and comer that could write the official book for the show 
she, uh, the, the editor reached out to my agent, Lisa. Lisa uh, called me and said, hey, listen, there's this opportunity. I think you're perfect for it. The, the story is, though, that the first book, I had to write the book in 30 days, which if you are wow. a writer or if you've ever considered writing, yeah. that's a tremendous amount of work for 30 days, <laughs> about 1,950 words a day. And that was including the table of contents. That was including wow. all the research, 30 days. Impressive. So for the second book, which required me to travel all over the country, about 12 different flights to meet with these entrepreneurs, um, I had three months, but that was all in. That was travel. That was research. That was writing. That's Ninety days, another sixty thousand words. So that that was the real challenge. Yeah. Well, okay. You know what you said that was interesting to me, and I hope hopefully everybody's listening. While you you may not be able to replicate the process with the the exact same individuals, you can rep- replicate the process in terms of what he did. And then what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, what I hear is that you, A, you had a friend from college. So you were in a, there was a network that was already built that was predisposed and beginning to head you in that direction. Your friend had an agent that you, that he or she introduced you to. And then because of whatever positive deposits you made with that agent, it eventually resulted in you being able to solve the publisher's problem. That's what I heard. Yeah, that's right. And you can sum it up in one sentence and it's the the truest sentence you'll ever say in any industry you're in and that it's relationships are everything plain and simple it's 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 the only currency that matters it's the only thing i care about relationships 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 and and i have to say you know it's not relationships for the sake of moving forward if that happens fine but i i find personally for me the what i try to do is add value that is and it sounds like a cheesy line but that's really my ultimate goal if i can add value in my industry, with my friends, with my peers, with my colleagues, with all of these people. I'm doing my job. And that's what makes a good relationship. Not when you think about what can they do for me, but what can you do for them? I've spent years, years and years building relationships. It's what I do. I think one of the best things I, I do, it's something I, I really um, respect in others and appreciate. And it, it all comes down to that. Relationships, that is the currency in which the world trades. And and I'll tell you what, it's all about the long-term uh, vision for me. I have very little interest in short term. I don't play the short game. I never have. I haven't made as much money or I'm not as famous because of it. My bet is that at the end of the story, I do well though. <laughs> or, um, or as rich and famous as, as someone who might be in the short term that can't sustain it. Well, what's interesting and it's the sustaining part. It's the And that's the part that resonates with me is sustaining. And that's why we're always talking about cash flow versus capital gains and, you know, quick flips and those types of things. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a time for that. But sustainable cash flow makes way more sense. And you said something that I thought was interesting. You said success is something that you rent. Now, rent being an operative word for my ears, it it is definitely something that resonated. Now, here's the thing. I think you're absolutely right. Because the person who may be more successful today or may looks more successful today may not be around 10, 15, and 20 years because of the way they're doing the relationships that you right now are planting the seeds. Here's my point. That takes a certain level of understanding of a concept called delayed gratification. Where did you learn that? I mean, I think probably my parents. I, I, you know, I, was, I was blessed to have really tremendous parents growing up and to be in an environment that um, you know, fostered curiosity, creativity, uh, self-awareness, all of these things that I think are really critical for an entrepreneur. And, and I know that, you know, I sort of had an advantage because of that. 
Um, but a lot of people have that advantage and a lot of people lose it over the years. I think a big piece of, of the puzzle for me mm-hmm. is no matter what happens in my life, no matter what kind of success or lack thereof that I run into, the key is to just never take yourself too seriously, to take your work seriously, <laughs> to take what you do seriously. But the moment that I start taking myself too seriously is the moment everything is going to go downhill because it's, it's, you have to maintain a healthy dose of humor of, uh, I think that's it, humor of, of stepping back and understanding the lightness of a situation, even in the darkest times. Yeah, definitely. So let, let's talk about the book for a second, because I, I'm curious to know, you know, how, and I, by the way, 90 days still sounds like an impossible task to me. Having it's gone, a lot of writing. <laughs> it is a lot of writing. Having gone through this process, I'm like, I 30 and or 90, either one, I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work, but okay, yeah. you did it. Congrats. <laughs> you know, that's impressive. A lot of, you, have to, you have to ice your wrists and your hands. It, it, and like have food shoved to you, delivered under the door or something. Because Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you're not doing anything. It's like, just check out from the world. So so uh, let's talk about jumpstarting your business. Let's talk about these secrets to success that you now have and that we are exposing uh, in, in various different forms. What would you say uh, is the, the, what is the secret, you know, to success? And many people want to know it, so let's expose it and help them out. Yeah. Okay, here's what I want you to take away from something that you just heard so that just in case you missed it, I can underscore it for you. What does that mean in this particular case? It means work. The things you want to accomplish, how long it takes, tend to expand directly proportional to the amount of time that you give it. What do I mean by that? He gave himself 90 days to do something that is considered crazy and nearly impossible but it got done why because it had to be done in 90 days it's kind of like that same thing that happens when you go out there to get that book report done or when the teacher said hey you got all semester to turn in the term paper when did you do yours i know for the few term papers that i've actually managed to finish they were frequently done in the wee hours before they were due i.e. your work. Another way of saying this, the goals that you want to achieve, how long it takes, typically expands with directly proportional to the amount of time you give it. Here's my challenge. Do something crazy today. Tell yourself that you can reach a goal, one of those goals that you've been putting off, not years from now, but 30 days from now. You haven't written an offer? Write one today. You're still waiting to buy that first property? Start now. It doesn't have to take long unless you want it to. And I don't think you want it to. You want some help with that? Grab a copy of my book, Cashflow Diary, 10 Steps to Creating Wealth in Any Economy. Go to cashflowdiary.com forward slash free book. Again, cashflowdiary.com forward slash free book. And for those of you who like the audio, go to the same place, cashflowdiary.com forward slash free book. And after you put in your name and email, we'll give you a special discount on the audiobook as well. Let's get back to the rest of it. Well, the good news is that there isn't, well, the good and the bad news is that there isn't one secret to success, right? <laughs> Dang it, Michael. If you're looking for a template, you've come to the wrong place because while there are some, some common through lines in these stories, I think what the book proves and I think what is, what is uh, really refreshing is that it isn't a turnkey situation, is that there isn't the five things you can do and then it's guaranteed success. In fact, 
it is a very specific, very personal, very customized approach that ultimately wins. Now, that being said, in all of the entrepreneurs I spoke with, and I had some great companies in there, Titan, Wicked Good Cupcakes, Grace and Lace, Scully, tons of great companies, there were some uh, shared characteristics, some shared values. And talk about them at the, at the very end. We call it sort of a blueprint for success. And what those three things are, and those are these are present throughout all of the stories that, that I shared. Number one, it's the audacity to initiate. That's where it starts, being brave enough to, to try something new, to really put yourself out there, even if it's not going to work. The second is having sort of the ingenuity to prosper. And that's really, that's really important. You know, being, having that ingenuity, ha- being able to manifest that work ethic is really, is critical. And a part of that's creativity. And then finally, the resilience, having the resilience to endure. In all of these stories, there was not a single story that did not contain so many sub stories of failure, so many experiences that were, you know, maybe less than pleasurable. And a lot of these folks had to pick themselves up, get back on the horse and go. And what I have found is that when we talk about resilience, the subject seems to be or the or the the talking point seems to be it's how fast you can get yourself back on the horse. I don't think that's right. I think that's a piece of it. I think the bigger piece of it is how you experience the falling off in the first place. How do you how do you look at that situation? Do you say, "Oh, I failed. This is horrible. Things are going to be terrible." Or do you pick yourself up and say, "You know what?" That sucked. It was hard to do, but I learned something from it. I'm better because of it, and I'm going to keep going. And every time you fall off, you have to be able to understand that falling off is a blessing. It it doesn't feel good in real time. <laughs> no. <But> ultimately, that's <laughs> how you learn. Indeed. Yes, I've, I've fallen off more than once. Um, now, when you say aud- audacity to initiate, I, I think I resonate a lot with that one because, you know, there, there's a, I think there's this thing in the back of our head that tends to say, well, who are you to actually provide and do or, you know, be this type of person? How does one get that audacity? You know, I think it's, uh, I think it develops over time or it doesn't. I think that you have to be, I'm not sure if there's one thing you can do to, to cultivate that. I think a big piece of it is self-awareness. I think a big piece of it is, for me, feeling like I always have something to prove. I will never feel as though I am set. I will never feel as though I have to stop proving myself. I am I am in a race with myself. I'm in a race to see how much more I can do, how much more I can handle, how capable am I really. And I continue every year to press myself. And that is part of what gives me the courage and the backbone is that when I go through a lot, when I experience something that's difficult and I come out on the other side, I look at that and I say, okay, well, that is the reason why the next time that the bigger thing happens, you're going to be able to do it too. I don't think there's a shortcut to learning that. I think it's just a series of experiences that you can choose whether to take as positive reinforcement or negative. Now, you mentioned something that I think is great here. You mentioned the word shortcut a number of times, and earlier you were talking about manifesting a particular work ethic. And there's uh, you know many ideas about work ethic and in this particular case uh, as it relates to you know many different generations have a completely different view of what that means i'm curious i've never heard anyone use the phrase manifest that work ethic and i want to understand a little bit more what you mean by that well i think it's really tempting in this day and age to focus on working smarter and not harder 
I think it's really easy in this day and age to find quote unquote hacks and quote unquote shortcuts <laughs> and all of that stuff. And that's fine. Listen, some of those things are very helpful and I'm certainly not discrediting the people that came up with them or the, the whole concept of, of promoting that. That's fine. It's whatever. But the key is, <laughs> is that, you know, those are the things that might push you over the top at the end. If you do not have the hard work, the ability to show up when it is gritty and difficult and it hurts. And if you don't have that, I don't care about the rest of the stuff. Maybe you're going to get lucky once or twice. Fine. But at the end of the day, you don't have what it takes to sustain. You don't have what it takes to actually do. So manifesting this means putting yourself in situations that test that, that require that, and not being tempted by the easier choice, by the short-term win. Because more than ever, it is easier to go in that direction. And the person that has the, the staying power, the person that's going to build a legacy is the person that, that's going to be able to see that, recognize it as an opportunity, but instead decide to stay the course and to really focus on doing the work. So, Michael, are you, are you telling me I can't just send one tweet and expect my business to blow up? I'm saying you can't send a thousand <laughs> tweets and expect your business to blow up. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure that we were clear <laughs> on what that <laughs> on what that one was. Now, when it comes to being an an entrepreneur, do you think um, you know, having worked and seen so many of them, I'm I'm curious to know if there's anything that uh, predisposes uh anybody to actually like is there some sort of oh, you can you tell? Like you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Like here are the top 3 things that I have seen that like you probably don't want to consider this. Yeah, um, you know, I, there's a there's a big question of whether entrepreneurs are born or are they made. And in the first book, we talked a lot about that. Robert Herjavec is famous for not wanting to have been an entrepreneur and feeling as though he sort of had to be and, and put himself in that situation. Someone else like Lori believes that you know they are entrepreneurs are sort of born, they're not made. So there's a lot of back and forth, especially in the tank about about that. Um, personally, for me, I'm sort of in the middle on that, and I do think though that there are some characteristics that. If you have them, you should probably avoid starting your own thing. The, the number one is, are you somebody that is able to self-direct, right? Do you need, if you need somebody to tell you what to do, if you're really one of those, you, know, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're somebody who works better when they're given a list of things to do and accomplishes those, that list of things, um, you probably shouldn't do it, right? Because nobody gives you a list. Nobody tells you how to do it. Uh, it's really about finding creative workarounds and being able to move on the fly and, and take a plan and know when to turn right and when to turn left and how to develop those lists for others. So that's number one. I would say the second thing, though, and, and this, is, this is probably, I don't know, equally as important, is not becoming an entrepreneur so that you can accomplish Tremendous wealth quickly. <laughs> this, is, this is a misnomer. Oh, hold on, right? hold, you started business. Oh, one second, Michael. Hold on, one second. Somebody was washing dishes. Their dog barked, or their kid tugged on them. I know. I know this. I know how this podcast works. Occasionally, someone's doing something. I need you to say that one again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say it in a different way. Being an entrepreneur is not a path to riches for most people. Most people do not understand that the average small business owner in the U.S. makes less than $58,000 a year. The average small business will last less than five years. The numbers are not in your favor. Now, of course, you can get rich. Of course, you can find real prosperity. But the, the reality is that being an entrepreneur is not just about making a lot of money. It's about freedom. 
And this is why I'm attracted to it. Yes, do I like money? Of course. Do I want to make a billion dollars one day? Sure, that would be wonderful. <laughs> but it isn't just it isn't just the billion dollar paycheck that I'm going after. Why I like to do what I do is because it allows me the freedom to live my life how I want to live it. And that is a critical piece of the puzzle. And that is part of the payoff. And if you don't appreciate that, if you say, you know what, I'm really rather just know I'm going to make X amount of dollars every year, you should probably not start your own thing. Uh, pro- probably. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with... I was being nice. I was being kind. <laughs> I'm like, that's a definite one right there. <laughs> you know? Because yeah, it, it's it's that unpredictable. And there was something that you said that I, I, I liked a lot because... There's this, you know, this whole list of things like, what am I going to do today? Well, you get to invent that. And if you not only has it, is there no one to give you a list? There's oftentimes that you've got to invent it for yourself as well as inventing it for others. But you're dealing with unknown territory, you know, and so many, so many times when you, especially if you're doing something that you think to be brand new or you're inventing a new category, new product, new service, something that's never been done before, if you can't deal with the unknown unknowns, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're yeah, in you trouble. have to you have to be able to to handle that kind of risk. You have to be comfortable with working on the fly and learning when and how to pivot at the right moment, which is not easy. Indeed, indeed. Now, you um, yourself uh, happen to fall into that category of individuals known as a millennial, correct? That's right. So. You, I, my daughter, and is also in this category, and so are obviously many others that don't typically have the, the the the. There's a lot of talk out there about that this particular generation not having what it takes in a lot of ways, and yet I see many examples of the exact opposite. Well, there's examples of both, but I see many examples of the exact opposite, and I'm curious is. Is the advice any different uh, for someone in that particular category as a millennial versus, you know, someone right now who's listening that's 40, 50, or 60? Yeah, no, I I think the advice is pretty much the same. Here's the thing. I spend most of my time talking about millennials. That is a big focus of my work. And um, yeah, of course, there are some some privileged uh, folks in my generation that maybe expect things to happen without a lot of work. I understand that. I understand that idea. But there is also another group, and I think this group is probably less vocal but more prevalent, and it's a group of people that are really focused on achievement and that have blurred the line between work and life in such a way, for better or worse, that they're really positioned to do even better than the previous generation. I think this is what will drive our generation. I think this is what will drive our country, our world. Um, but the big thing about millennials is that you, whenever you're talking about this generation, besides that you're, you're, you're trying to generalize a very large group of people, right. you have to ask the question, is it situational or is it generational? This is really critical. So if we were to look at baby boomers who, let's say, today are in their 50s or, or early 60s, if we were to look at baby boomers and we were to examine them today versus who they were when they were 27, 28, 29, <laughs> right? A very different kind of person. And so if we were saying, you know, when they were 28, this is who a baby boomer is, we would be dead wrong. And so this generation, millennials, we've been studied the most because there's more access to data and because we're the largest generation in the history of the world. So people are curious. But the reality is that we're still growing up. We're still in our infancy. And I think that while there are some entitled folks in general, this generation is full of a lot of great organized, thoughtful, uh, 
young entrepreneurs that I think we're going to make a big difference in this world. I agree. I mean, the tools and technology and the things that come up uh, are absolutely amazing uh, to me in, in so many different ways. And there was something that you said you the, in terms of blurring the line between personal life and work that it's, well, I mean, you can do so many things just from the comfort of your local Starbucks now. It, it's it's awesome. And at the same time, it, it can be a bit of a transition and confusing. So here's a question then, because as technology continues to develop, it tends to disrupt so many different things. What is the, do you think that, I mean, I know we're, we're still talking about the second book. Is there going to be a third? It, you know, will there be a actual physical book or are we talking the third book is now just a, a Twitter stream or a live chat or, or something completely different? Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, listen, I think the books will still maintain their relevancy. I think how they're used, what they're used for, that's obviously changed. It's continuing to change. As more people have the ability to publish and get their work out there, the credibility and the clout that was once reserved for authors is starting to, to <laughs> right. dissipate, um, which, is, which is fine. It's, it's, that's how things happen. I mean, look, everything in life <laughs> is, is an evolution, right? And especially work, especially career. Work begets work begets work. Platforms beget platforms beget platforms. It's constantly changing. There's the impermanence of everything, if you really think about it, can be exhausting, but it's also freeing in a way. And so, you know, do, is the next thing a book? I don't know if it's a book. Is the next thing a podcast? Maybe it's a podcast. The next thing will be the next thing. The thing that I'm most concerned about is that the thing that I'm working on now, that I'm dedicated to, that it has my attention, and that it's work that I can wake up every morning and say I'm proud to be doing. And that is something that is specific with this generation. We look at work not just as the thing we do from nine to five, but as a reflection of who we are, as not just our, our career, but as our life's work. It says something about us as people. This is important. This is something that, the, that our society needs, that it's, a, it's been slowly building up to this. And I think that's going to be one of, our, one of our landmark sort of legacies is that we change the way that this culture thinks about how we spend our days, the work we do, the careers yeah. we choose, the profession that we opt in. Indeed, indeed. So w what would you say then to the persons, you know, who, who are going to be picking up, you know, this, a copy of the Shark Tank, uh, Jumpstart Your Secrets, except, or sorry, Jumpstart Your Business and Shark Tank Secrets. What would you say then? What is the message that's core, that's central, that's going to resonate with the person who is looking to start their business and then the person who's already started but possibly struggling? You know, I think the core message is to keep going. The core message is that things do not happen overnight and that the smart entrepreneur, the smart um, startup CEO or whomever recognizes that a lot of it is a numbers game. It's a waiting game. It's a being smart, knowing how to pivot, but also having the tenacity and the stamina to hang in and to make the risky moves and to not take the easy choice. You know, there's going to be a lot of successes and a lot of failures in your journey if you're starting a business. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to figure out how to persevere. And there is no answer for that. That is the job of the entrepreneur. The job of the entrepreneur is to get it done no matter what. No matter what the cost of that is, they must accomplish. They must move forward. That is a hard thing to do. But I believe that most people can do it. Agreed. Agreed. It is a challenge. And one of the interesting things to, to add to that is, you, there is no nine to five clock. You don't know when the work is going to be over. And oftentimes it's 
by the time it's happened, you've forgotten. <laughs> You're on to yeah, the next L- thing. Lori Grenier always says, you know, entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. And I think that is spot on. Um, it's a, it's a, it's not, it's not a traditional way to live. I mean, a great example is I've been traveling a lot. You know, yesterday I didn't get to the office until 5.30 PM. I had a million other things to do. Wow. Do most people do that? No. Is that my usual schedule? No. But that's part of the deal is that I can come and go as I please because I run my own show. Right. And that's, it's the, it's a freedom that, uh, is that many people want to, uh, but I often say that people want dessert, but they don't want to eat dinner. It comes at a tremendous price. And, uh, yeah, that, including vegetables occasionally. So <laughs> that's just the way it is. <laughs> Gotta so, eat the vegetables. Indeed. Sometimes, now, I know that the individuals who have been listening, there's more than one who wants to find out more uh, about what you're doing. How can they, beyond this time that they've invested, how can they get more of, of, of what you are out there doing? Yeah, well, anyone that wants to find out more can visit my site. That is very simple, MPDHQ, as in Michael Parrish Dudell Headquarters, MPDHQ.com. And if they want to learn more about the book, that is the same site with the forward slash and Shark Tank. So MPDHQ forward slash Shark Tank. Excellent. All right. So I've got one more question for you here before we end. Uh, because, again, entrepreneurs and superheroes, in my opinion, they, there's just so much that we go through between the transformation, origin stories, all this other stuff. Um, that let's pretend for a second, Michael, that there's someone standing in front of the superhero outfit store right now. They think, Ooh, I want to go in there and pick out their outfit. I'm going to get a cape and, and they're ready to make their thing happen. However, in the back of their mind, they have that voice. And Michael, I know you know that voice. You've talked to a ton of people who have done battle with that voice and that voice is still ringing very loudly in their head. Every time they think, oh, I'm going to go and, and do this and we're going to be able to have, you know, 10,000 users and we're going to be able to do this. And one day all of these things will happen. But in the back of their head, there's that still quiet, sometimes quiet, but often loud voice that that's always slowing them down just a little bit. Let's pretend for a second that they're going to do exactly what you say. And they're going to do it in the next 72 hours, Michael. What do they do to make their thing happen? Very simple. They buy a copy of the book, The War of Art. It's, a, it's, a, it's my favorite book. It's a book I read five times a year, and it talks exactly about that, about this voice in your head that stops you from doing what you are put on this earth to do. Let me tell you what, everybody has it. I have it, you have it, Barbara Corcoran has it, Mark Cuban has it. Even if they don't talk about it, they have it. It never goes away. And let me tell you what, the only way that you can have freedom from that voice is to accept the fact that it never goes away, that you will never get rid of it. In fact, it can only be managed. And the best way to manage it is by doing the thing that you wanna do. The best way to manage it is by listening to it, letting it say its piece, and then saying, great, thanks so much, now I'm gonna go do my work. And it happens a million times a day, whether you're a writer, an entrepreneur, an artist, uh, whatever you are, whatever you are, we all experience this, this voice that says, I don't deserve to be here. Someone can do it better. What if I can't? Bad news is it's not going anywhere. Good news is it's totally manageable. You just have to stand up and do the work. Nice. 
I definitely want to say thanks for taking the time to share your wisdom, your insights, for writing another book and making it happen, putting your greatness out there for all of us to go pick up. Uh, thank you again for investing your time here with us at the Cashflow Diary, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean today? It likely means you need to pick up at least one book, probably two, mpdhq.com forward slash Shark Tank. That's where you're going to go. And then I don't know about you, but if you have been listening for a while, he was the first person to recommend a book as the answer to that question. So I think that's interesting. I'm looking up the War of Art just as well. So maybe that's a hint. Guys, gals, you only have the time now. It's now o'clock. Make it happen. It's been fun talking to you today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time. (laughs) 